This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. I'm going to start with a story, which maybe some of you have heard. Again, they're always the same. <laughs> there's a priest and there's another priest. When priest Yaoshan was sitting in meditation, a monk asked, What do you think about sitting in steadfast composure? Notice, by the way, in these stories, someone's always interrupting someone while they're sitting. <laughs> if you just came up and talked to me while I was sitting, I would think that was so strange. Anyway, so he walks up in the middle of Zazen and he says, What do you think about? And Yaoshan says, I think not thinking. And the monk says, How do you think not thinking? And Yaoshan says, Non thinking. This story comes up a lot. And it's always hard to talk about for a lot of reasons. The first one being the most obvious, which we're talking about thinking, not thinking, and non-thinking, which is kind of like having a story about three sisters named Anna, Anna, and Enna, right? You're going to lose track. <laughs> but we'll do our best. We come to this story because we come to this moment in Dogen's instructions for Zazen, when after describing most of the physicality of it, he says, once you have adjusted your posture, and we talked about the posture, take a breath and exhale fully. Rock your body right and left. I would say go in a circle. And settle into steady, immovable sitting. Think of not thinking not thinking. What kind of thinking is that? Non-thinking. This is the essential art of Zazen. As an aside, there's been some really interesting scholarship about Dogen just in the last decade or so, in which we've come to realize that a lot of the poetic language, a lot of the uh, dense and confusing language of Dogen can be attributed to the fact that classical Japanese had no punctuation, and specifically that it had no quotation marks. Here he's clearly quoting, right? There are no quotation marks in the text, but it's a quote. What we find is that actually he's quoting all the time. <laughs> it's just that this is one we can track. Often we have no idea of the source. So we have three things, three options in a way. Thinking, which we all know how to do. To think not thinking. And then this thing called non-thinking. What is thinking? 
From a Buddhist perspective, it's not just any activity of the mind. For example, it's not awareness. In Buddhist psychology, we would say that there are stages of of uh, of encounter. In the first stage, the mind is aware of something without naming it. Right. Uh, we have to understand that all of these stages are happening in a fraction of a second. What in Japanese the the term would be a setsuna. It's one sixtieth of a second. That's considered the smallest unit of time. <laughs> In one setsuna, we go from zero to 60. But, but in the first tiny, tiny bit of fraction of a fraction of a second, we can see a cat without thinking cat. Right? There's just simply object awareness. But then immediately, stage two, which is that we think cat. And then there's stage three in which we think cute cat. Right, And then there's stage four in which we think, I used to have a cat. So there's the awareness of the object, there's the naming of the object, there's the opinion or the feeling about the object, and then there are the associations that go with the object. And this happens for most of us millions of times a day, instantly, without any sense that it's a progression. We go from object, in, in our experience, we go from object presence to association. And that association is colored with feeling. It's really difficult for us to even grasp stage two, which would be to see a cat and simply think, cat, with nothing else. Though there are whole meditative practices that aim at just being able to do that. Just working on stage two really, really hard. So we can keep that in mind as we think about what thinking is. Thinking, from the perspective of of what we're talking about here, is not stage one. And it's not necessarily stage two. It's when we start to impose ourself on what we're perceiving. The Japanese word in this conversation is shiryo. And shiryo, the shi means thinking or, or, or that cogitation, that faculty. And ryo means to measure. Which is mostly the way we think. We see something and we measure it against our idea of what it should be, or what it could be, or what it used to be, or what it will be. That's shiryo. It's when we apply something to something that we see. It's when we add something to a thought. It's normal thinking. But it's not all mental activity. That's important to remember. Because not thinking does not mean that you turn off your brain. I think I used to imagine, I know I did, that 
But in the beginning, when I thought about meditation, I imagined that meditation would be kind of trippy and that I would see lots of fantastic things. But then when I started going more into Zen and, and the books about Zen and they weren't describing those things, I think I imagined that it was almost going to be like a coma, you know, that I would just go blank and that somehow there would be a kind of a moral value to that. That that was what I was, that was a benefit was to, was to have a totally empty mind. And if you've ever had that idea, you can be forgiven for it because I think it's, it's very easy to get that impression from these kinds of conversations. He says, I think not thinking. Well, how do you think not thinking? non-thinking. There are a few ways in which this has been interpreted traditionally. And I think they have merit, but we should talk about them a little bit. The first way, the most troublesome way, the one that I I want us not to give a lot of time to, is, is maybe the most common, which is that non-thinking is something that none of you can imagine, right? But I can because I'm the one talking about it, right? And so all I can do is kind of invite you to explore more deeply and maybe one day you too will understand what non-thinking is. And, And I can say this because how can you possibly guess if I know this or not? Right. So that's one way to talk about this is to just hold up non-thinking in a way that, you know, you know, it's hard, but maybe a few of us, maybe one of us will get there. And when you do, I will know. I'll see it in your eyes. Right. And I'll say it's you. Let's throw that one out. Another more interesting one has to do with transcendence. It has to do with the idea that non-thinking is a kind of big thinking. It's a big container of mind, big enough to contain both thinking and not thinking. So it's neither one nor the other. This is a valid way of talking about it. Anytime we talk about transcendence, we're talking about inclusion. To transcend something is to be bigger than the thing that you transcend, but also to contain that thing. And so if if non-thinking is the ideal, if that's what's being said, and if it's transcendent, if it goes beyond the other two, then that means it actually holds them both and is more. Now, that doesn't mean that I can say that and then say, do it. <laughs> right. But we can start to understand that it's, it's not as simple as shutting off the brain, and it's also not as simple as directing ourselves to a particular point. It, it's something expansive. 
That's one. Another very interesting way of talking about these three is to say that it's not that we're aiming for non-thinking. It's that actually for Zazen to be active, for Zazen to be alive, all three are happening. And if you've sat for any period of time, you can probably, this might resonate with you a little bit, because you understand that the actual practice of Zazen, not some fairy tale about Zazen, the actual practice of Zazen includes thinking. If Zazen is what we're doing sitting here, you know that sometimes you're engaged in a thinking way. And you know that sometimes you seem to kind of shut off. And that sometimes it seems to be something else. Not to play too fast and loose with it, but we can say that that something else might be non-thinking. That might be option C. So this interpretation is very inclusive and simply says, your experience of Zazen, yeah, that really is Zazen. Right. And that's important for us to hear. We need to be reminded of that sometimes. Because one of the easiest things for us is to sit here and convince ourselves that this is not really it. Right. There was that one time when I sat Zazen and it felt just like I thought it would. Right. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to climb back to that spot. But you're really doing it. Even if it feels terrible. And then there's a fourth, and the fourth one is, is mostly mine. Uh, it doesn't have the weight of history behind it, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Uh, I've mentioned in the past that when they've done studies of uh, brainwave patterns on people who do Zazen, specifically Zazen, because different almost any other kind of meditation is going to light up your brain very differently. But what they found was that, that one of the only ways to turn on delta waves in your brain and nothing else is to sit in Zazen. For a long time, researchers didn't think that delta waves mattered because they basically associated them with, with the absence of mental activity. And then what, what we found is that there's one other place where we establish this brainwave pattern, and it's in deep, dreamless sleep. When we're sleeping but not dreaming, our brain is still completely turned on. In fact, it's, it's kind of cranked up. But it's not using it's measuring faculties. And it's not doing uh, imagery work like we do with, with theta waves when we dream and we create worlds. Right? 
Those things are resting. And there's this other thing that comes up. And what it is, is a receptive state. An inclusive state. A state in which our minds are kind of vulnerable. The walls are down. You can simulate this to a degree, though not in isolation, because it's a thought exercise. But you can, you can choose, for example, and maybe I've done this exercise with you in the past, to imagine a bubble around yourself that is, is completely safe and warm and, and nice. And after you kind of get into that, if you can kind of feel that bubble, then you just expand it to include another person. And in that moment of expansion, your delta waves go up. It's that bringing in someone else. This is your capacity when you're asleep. And this is your capacity in Zazen. It's kind of cool. And so what occurs to me as I read this conversation is that maybe Yaoshan is just giving a very straightforward description of what it is to sit. Because in deep dreamless sleep, you don't think in the sense of holding things. You don't think in the sense of following your thoughts. But you're aware. You rest in sleep in non-referential awareness. All the time. And then you don't remember it, which makes it one of the hardest things to do when you're awake. I think all three of these are valid. All three are worth thinking about, but not when you're sitting. If there's a takeaway from any of this, I want to say that thoughts are not the enemy of Zazen. They're also just not the enemy of your life. Don't get combative with the uh, stuff in your head. Don't imagine that the solution to this practice is to learn how to shut the door or to kick something out. That's not it. We have to work with the way the brain actually works. We have to be able to, to be friends with our minds. And our minds are going all the time on different levels. Going back to Buddhist psychology, there's also the idea, and I know I've mentioned this before, that the mind is not the organ that generates thought. The mind is the organ that recognizes thought. This suggests two really interesting things. One, 
the most interesting is that if the mind is the organ that recognizes thought, that means that there's also an option to not recognize the thought. There's an option to encounter thought and not grab it. The other thing that this suggests is that thoughts are not us, which means that we can develop an impersonal relationship to thought. We can observe thought. We can be aware of thought. It sounds like it wouldn't work. But again, awareness and thought are not the same thing. I really like this word, word impersonal. But it gets me into trouble sometimes because it sounds wrong to people. It sounds cold. Impersonal in the context of this practice, though, it doesn't mean cold. And it doesn't mean distant. To have an impersonal relationship with something is simply to know that you are not limited by that thing. You can have an impersonal relationship with your partner insofar as you can understand that you don't have to be stuck in your partner's story. (laughs) And you can have an impersonal relationship to your work in that you can understand that your work does not have to define you and it does not have to be the main determiner of your happiness or your worth. It doesn't mean you're not 100% invested in your relationship with your partner. It doesn't mean you aren't 100% invested in your work. It's just that that relationship isn't narrowing you. Every time we grab onto a thought, I think this is true all the time, but specifically in Zazen, because we see it there, when we grab a thought, we narrow, we contract. When we remember something, we contract. When we, when we decide to follow the path of a fantasy, we contract. And every time that we notice that we've been doing that, and we release our grasp, and we take that next breath, we expand. And we feel that that's what's happening. It's not an illusion. And as we expand, just like a balloon, our walls get thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. If you've ever seen someone who who does a a show with uh, soap bubbles, you know, people do amazing things with bubbles. They blow bubbles and then they put bubbles on top of bubbles and then they put things inside the bubbles and they can, and they can take a pin, you know, and they drive them through, they drive like a, a knitting needle through the bubbles and then they pull the knitting needle back out and nothing pops. 
That's you. When you're really at ease and when you're really fully expanded, you don't burst. You just receive and receive and receive. I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.